This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee Homer? One second. Bruno, quit. Stop, stop. You better stop. Stop right now. <laughs> We're off to a great start, Mike. <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we are, are certainly in the middle of the dead of the offseason. Thankfully, oh, Shane, yeah. this week we got SEC teams hitting the field for spring practice. So, man, th- this next month, even though it is the offseason, we are going to be coming to the listeners with as much content as we can. I'm loading up on the interviews. Yeah. And we even got everybody's favorite, Cousin Shane, back on the line. I couldn't be happier, man. How are yeah, you? Yeah, man. Good to be back. And it is off season. So I'm, I'm doing some routine maintenance. The other day I went and got one of those uh, those endoscopes. You know, I'm getting older, Mike. Got to get this stuff checked out. So I rolled in there, and uh, we're going through the whole routine and, and whatnot. And I, I got to tell you, Mike, because I thought it was funny. So they wheel me back to this little tiny room, you know, and they're they're all talking about, you know, secretly how fat I am. You know, I, I'm imagining that's some of the conversations. There were some level two talks and stuff, you know, without saying, you know, code red or anything. So so they wheel me back to this little tiny room, you know, and they're they're talking all these codes and stuff. And um and I had for some reason I've never had this done before. So I didn't really know what it was going to happen or how it was going to play out. So in my mind, I, I mean, if you were to have an endoscope, Mike, uh, that's a hose that goes down your throat, mm-hmm. how would you think that you should be seated during that th- that procedure? Um, I would think, you know, sitting like it, like you're just sitting now on a couch, just, just yeah. and they go into you. That's that's what I thought, Mike. <laughs> well, then they tell me to roll over to my left side on my side. And so, I, naturally, I was, you know, because you hear those horror stories where they amputate the wrong leg and everything like that. I had to quickly remind them that I'm not in for that scope. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you do do it from that side. So, that one threw me off. And then what was funny was even funnier. When I got done, I knew I was going to prank somebody. I was hoping my wife would be there, but she wasn't back in the, in the room. So, the nurse comes back, and uh, I'm waking up, you know, because they put you under. And they said, uh, uh, how you feeling? And I said, good, good. I said, I just, I can't, I can't feel my feet though. Like that, you know, just kind of messing with her. And she goes, what, what do you mean you can't feel your feet? I was like, I don't know. Just for, like from my knees down, I can't feel anything in my legs. And she grabbed that blanket, pulled it off, grabbed my feet. She goes, can you feel this? Can you feel this? I was like, I'm just messing with you. I can feel everything. <laughs> 
Oh, Mike, if you ain't having fun, you ain't living. So uh, that was my wild weekend, just getting some, some routine stuff done. Everything was good. Got a good bill of health, so I'm back to drinking again. And, uh, no, I'm ready. I'm ready for some college football. And it is fun because, yes, it is the the dog days. Uh, we're, we're sneaking up on summertime, list season. Yeah, we're in full swing. Yeah. But there is so much stuff. It, it's, it's crazy the amount of content that you've been putting up. I've been watching. I mean, you're tw- – your Twitter handle, that's the only thing I got notifications turned on because I know if anything big happens, SEC Mike's going to be on top of it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, speaking of that, Shane, I put this out and it's already getting all kinds of buzz. So I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on it because I already kind of I went down this entire list on a recent episode. We've got early point spreads from FanDuel. Yeah. I've ne- never in my life have I seen them come out this early, Shane. And I really just want to focus on a, a couple because we don't have many. There's, there's only about nine or ten here. But I yeah. just want to focus on the ones that are exclusive SEC versus SEC teams. Just want to get your quick thoughts on it. Okay. How does it feel, Tennessee Homer, being uh-huh. favored on the road, no less, against Florida by six and a half points, oh. Tennessee, nearly a touchdown favorite against the Florida Gators. What what's your initial thought when you hear that? And again, these lines will change. It's yeah. you know late February, but that that was pretty surprising to me. Is that just the first quarter? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it, brother. It's already started. No, this is this is a great feeling, but you know, you know, Mike, we were we were favorites coming in last year. Uh, you you can't that doesn't mean anything. And and it, I think a touchdown spread is good, but I think if you're a Florida fan, you're liking that too because with all the the the, the turnovers with the coaching staff and the players, to be a six point underdog, you know, against Tennessee that that had a chance to make it to the college football playoffs last year, I think you're on cloud. You'll you'll take that because you and I both know it doesn't matter what the spread is. This game's going to come down to the wire. Yeah. How about this one, Shane? Georgia. Versus Florida, of course, in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. No surprise to see Georgia being the favorite. I mean, anybody could have told you that. But the actual spread that FanDuel has put on this, 17 and a half points. I mean, again, I guess we shouldn't be stunned by that, but that's a huge right. number for a rivalry game with uh, year two under Billy Napier, don't you think? Yeah, and, and and that's a sad spread too, you know, because this is this has always been a tight game when we were growing up, and and I expect there to be great games moving forward. But right now, these two programs are on two different pages, and uh, seventeen and a half. I mean, that's 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 crazy to me. So yeah, I, I'm not putting any money on it. That you get that hive this far out, but. Uh, Anything can happen, Mike. I mean, you're 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 basing it on a lot of factors. You know, there's injuries and stuff like that. Look how far out this is. Yeah. So if you think Florida's better than than we're portraying, then I'd put money on both of these games. How about this one, Shane? This could be the battle for the SEC West, just like it was last year. LSU at Alabama. No surprise, Crimson Tide are favored, but eight mm-hmm. and a half. That's pretty surprising to me. What's mm-hmm. your thoughts on that one? Well, surprising. Why Why you say that? Why is that so surprising? I don't know. I was just thinking, well, obviously LSU beat them last year. I think LSU is going to be even better this year. I, we don't. Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns with Alabama. Again, I, I anticipated them being a favorite, but I was thinking maybe five, six, 
maybe even seven points, but eight and a half. That's a yeah. lot to give to the defending SEC West that's champions. Right. Oh, that's a tough pill to swallow, ain't it, Tuscaloosa? <laughs> but I think maybe that's part of the reason is is that whole possible revenge tour that you know i mean alabama just has that stigma that they can beat and beat down every team that they play mm-hmm. and and i think betters especially they look at last year as a one-off i don't think that's a, a pattern that we're going to see moving forward so even last year if you the very next week went to tuscaloosa and had that lsu alabama game alabama still would be the favorites you know so I'm not really surprised here. I'm actually surprised it's that close, to be honest with you. Nothing mm. against LSU and what they're doing, but sometimes you get them crimson glasses on and you you see those those two score games, you know. Yep. All right, last one, Shay. This one near and dear to your heart could be the battle for the SEC East, like it was last year. Again, Georgia on the road at Tennessee. Bulldogs, Shane favored. By seven and a half points. Ooh. Come on now. What's your thoughts on that one? Oh, I like that, Mike. I do <laughs> like that. You know, because, I mean, think about it. How many years ago we were 20-point underdogs, 30-point <laughs> underdogs, I think at one point on these guys. So the fact that that window is closing a little bit, that that makes me feel good inside and that it's a touchdown yeah. between them. Yeah, I'm all for that home field advantage. But – you know, there's a lot of dogs out there that are like, wait, what app is this that I can put in? <laughs> <laughs> That's over at FanDuel, so go bet that up while you have that opportunity. But, man, again, I, I just love talking these spreads. We'll, we'll get more and, more and more of these as the summer progresses, but uh, it's pretty wild to see these out in early fe- or late February. You know what? Yeah, man. We don't even know. I mean, you don't know what the roster is going to look like or anything at this point. So if you, it's yeah. just pure gut check at this point. I'm that's why I'm surprised there's a spread out this early. Yeah. Well, hey Shane, I forgot to mention this in the opener, but of course it's in the title and everything, so it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. We've got an outstanding interview. We're going to kick it over to it right now with Sam Khan from the Athletic. They call him the Texpert for a reason. Shane, he knows <laughs> the state of Texas inside and out. Covers Texas. Covers Texas A&M. Again, for The Athletic, he just did a a very in-depth piece after speaking with the ADs from both schools about renewing that great rivalry in the SEC. Cannot wait for this first matchup between these two great schools. Let's kick it over to this interview with Sam Kahn. All right, hey, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Sam Kahn of The Athletic. The Texpert, they call him, covers all the programs there in the great state of Texas. Sam, thank you so much for joining the show. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. So, I, I, you know, I really wanted to have you on just to talk Texas and Texas A&M, of course. You just recently wrote about that in The Athletic, um, as well as your most recent mailbag. Uh, Go check it out on The Athletic. I'll I'll put links in the show notes. But before we get to the, maybe, you know, obviously the two big programs in the state, I, I thought you'd be a perfect person to ask, with TCU, being the first team from that state to not only make the college football playoff, but the national championship, how, maybe not how well, that's not the right way to put it, but how's that going over in the state with Texas and all the expectations, as well as A&M, who came into the year thinking they could be that team? Yeah, I think certainly I would characterize it as surprise because, I mean, even if you ask the most ardent TCU fans on the planet in August or September, 
they would have never pegged TCU to make it that far. Uh, I think if you would have given TCU fans, hey, you guys are going to go nine and three in the first year of Sonny Dykes' tenure, they would have probably taken it and run. If they say you're going to get to the Big 12 championship game, you probably would have taken it and ran. And to see them get on that run and, and play the way they did and not only get to the playoff, but like you said, beat Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl and get to the national title game and be the first team to do it, it really was an eye-opener, I think, for everybody that it doesn't necessarily have to be a program with a ton of five-star talent or a program with the amount of resources that Texas or Texas A&M has. Uh, that, and not to say that TCU doesn't have a lot. They do. They're, they're very well-funded and, and deep-pocketed in terms of their donors and their infrastructure, but it doesn't have to be a blue blood, so to speak, that, to, to get there. And that they were just able to kind of catch some fire and go. If you're Texas and you're Texas A&M, you're looking at your program and wondering – where can we become more efficient? Where can we kind of close the gap and get ourselves into that conversation? Uh, so because they do have the resources, they have the advantages in terms of where they're positioned in recruiting from a facility standpoint. The, obviously, the athletic budgets are amongst the top in the country, Texas and Texas A&M. So when you look at all those advantages, the sizes of the fan bases, you look at yourself as like, hey, if they can do it, certainly we can and we probably should. If Texas or Texas A&M, one of those programs, was to make that leap, I mean, I don't think anybody in the preseason this year is going to be predicting either one of those to make the college football playoff, but it certainly could happen for every reason you just referenced there, Sam. Uh, if you had to pick one, and I'm not saying you're, you're picking this for sure, <laughs> but Texas or Texas A&M, which one more likely to make the upcoming four-team college football playoff? I think I'd probably give Texas a slight edge right now just because I look at the Big 12 right now as wide open. And I was talking about this the other day with, with, with my colleagues, Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman, we were talking about on their podcast, that is there a team in the Big 12 right now that scares you, that, that you look at and you say, that's the prohibitive favorite in the conference. I don't think there is one. Certainly you got to give respect to Kansas State because they won the conference last year. TCU obviously made their miraculous run, but they lose a lot of talent off that team. So Baylor was the champion in 2021. They were six and seven last year and they're still kind of rebuilding. Oklahoma had a down year. So there's really no clear cut favorite in the conference. So to me, that gives Texas a chance to go in and contend for and potentially win the Big 12 this year if they play their cards right because they've got all their offensive linemen back because they have Jalen Ford the uh, one of the top Big 12 defensive players back uh, Quinn Ewers is back of course they got a ton of receivers they brought in A.D. Mitchell from from Georgia as a transfer so to me when I look at the talent they're building there I think they probably have a little bit of a slight better chance this year just because I think the path is a little clearer A&M has the talent in my opinion even with all that they lost in the portal, they were able to keep the vast majority of their starters. And so the top line talent on the AM roster is there. But obviously, it's a much tougher road to get through in the SEC West. And obviously, coming off a five and seven season, AM is very much in the I'll believe it when I see it camp. Now, as I reference on the athletic, you wrote recently uh, just on the renewing of that great rivalry. Uh, you spoke to both ADs. And, you know, I'm not even from. Texas, Sam. I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I've graduated Tennessee, but I just love college football. And even I feel like robbed that we have not had this game. This is something that I've been begging and pleading for because w without games like this, college football is just not what it's supposed to be, in my opinion. 
Can you believe it's it's taken this long to get Texas and Texas A&M back on the gridiron? I, I really, it really is hard to believe because after the breakup happened initially, of course, there was a lot of posturing on both sides and, and has continued to be that over the course of the last 11 years. But I always figure that at some point that, that they would get back together and, and they so the cooler heads would prevail and eventually we get to a place where they would play because they would realize that it's best for the fans, it's best for the good of the game. But I think those feelings run deep on both sides. Uh, that There was a lot of pain that came with that breakup uh, in 2011, 2012. So I think it ran even deeper than I realized, and I didn't know that it was going to take basically Texas moving into the conference for it to, to happen again. Uh, so it, I feel like you, I, I'm, I grew up in this state. I grew up watching that game every year, you know, around Thanksgiving or black Friday around Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and I miss it. And, and I was really sad when it went away because to me, that's just what you did on Thanksgiving. You watched, obviously you, you ate your Thanksgiving meal. You watched, you know, the NFL games and you watched Texas Tech a and and it didn't matter if you, you, chances are you had somebody in your family who had a rooting interest, but even if you didn't, it was it was always fun to watch because you knew anything could happen. It didn't matter how good one team was or what the rankings of the teams were. It was always going to be a really competitive game, and it was going to be very uh, a passionate feeling. And the fan base was going to be super uh, super lit for it. So uh, I miss that. And like you said, this is what really we love about college football: is the rivalries, the proximity. These schools are only separated by one hundred miles. And they recruit in the same areas. The the alumni go to they they go to work together. They share offices. They like to talk trash to each other. And not having that on the gridiron and just having the bickering back and forth that just wasn't for me. And I was very much after a few years. I was very much in the camp of please wake me when we actually make real progress to getting this happen again because I'm tired of talking about it. I just want it to happen. And thank goodness, probably in 2024 we're going to get it back. Yeah, it's basically been a Twitter battle for decade plus here. <laughs> now, I, I don't know if there's any truth to this, Sam. You would know better than I, but uh, you know, there's been opportunities, I'd say, for Texas and Texas A&M to meet in a bowl game, and it's just not happened. I don't. Again, I don't know how accurate that is, but let's say this upcoming season, if it's you know a marquee bowl matchup or something, could you see Texas and Texas A&M both being okay with playing one another, or does this have to be as conference opponents? Um, in the SEC, yeah, I probably think it's going to end up. They're end up waiting until twenty four, e- even if it's potentially meeting in a bowl, unless it's a playoff or unless it's a New Year's Six bowl, something like that. I-, I couldn't see it. I know there there had been conversations in the past about trying to pair them up, like in the Texas Bowl or something like that. Uh, obviously, it never materialized, and and I certainly understand that it's unfortunate. But uh, yeah, I, I think everyone's going to probably point to the buildup of, of 24, assuming that they, they go with that nine game conference schedule with the three fixed opponents. Uh, and, and that's what I can't wait for because I think the anticipation and the buildup for that game is going to be immense. Like I, I cannot imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like when they play finally. And in your piece, Ross Bjork, of course, the, the AD there for A&M, he is adamant that that first game will be in college station uh thoughts on that because it is so great i mean this this goes to the rivalry uh the the texas ad says well i don't know about that so i mean they're already (laughs) bickering here and they're not even in the same league yeah that's what that's what i love about it i think chris del conti called the internet fodder uh he said it's called he said it was news to him 
That that's what I love about that. I, I get the sense that you know Ross Bjork didn't really come out and say it explicitly, but I get the sense that it's probably whether it's an assurance from the SEC office or a make good because they invited Texas into the conference when and of course when Texas A&M first entered the conference, I think Mike Slive had made clear to them they wouldn't do anything of that sort unless they got talked to A&M first about it. Obviously, that's not the way it transpired this time because we saw how A&M reacted when the news first leaked in the summer of 2021. Uh, I'd probably take that as the SEC just trying to kind of, okay, we invited Texas, we'll give you the first one in College Station. So uh, certainly it seems like Ross is very set on that, and I wouldn't be shocked, obviously, if it ends up in Kyle Field in 24. And, you know, I don't care, Sam. They could play at week zero. They could play at week one. They could play at rivalry weekend. I just want the game played. But, I, you know, that's something also you hit on in your piece on, you know, tr- traditionally that game, like you said, has been on Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Don't know for certain if that's going to work out due to uh, a number of factors, but A&M and LSU playing annually at that date now. I think I have found a workaround here. Texas, Texas A&M at weekend. LSU Arkansas, which used to play that, I don't, I don't know if you can get LSU to sign off on that, but Arkansas certainly would. And then Oklahoma, it doesn't look like they're going to be playing Oklahoma State, particularly not in the regular season. So just give them Mizzou, that frees up Arkansas to take at LSU. Uh, could you see that scenario? Does that make sense to you? To me, that seems like the best solution because right now, if if the aim for the SEC is to keep as many rivalry games on rivalry weekend where they are, then when you swap Texas in for Texas A&M's opponent as opposed to LSU, then you're leaving LSU and Oklahoma without opponents. And I don't think in a three-fixed opponent setup we're going to have LSU and Oklahoma paired up. So, But Oklahoma and Mizzou could be paired up, and LSU and Arkansas could be paired up. So if that happens, to me, that your, your solution makes the most sense is Oklahoma, Mizzou, LSU, Arkansas, and Texas, Texas A&M. If for whatever reason they can't get the calendar to work, I don't think it really matters where you play Texas Texas A&M. It would be nice to have it back on that Thanksgiving weekend, uh, but you could put it the week before. You could put it sometime in mid-November if you want. I, and that's why I broached the subject with Ross Bjork. Uh, I said, what about doing it week zero, week one? Or at least in the first year, you could do that. Like, that would be a hell of a way to kick it off. I, and I think he he called it, you know, he said he hadn't really thought about it, but he called it that would be a magical way to kick it off. And I couldn't agree more. But I understand why November seems to be preferable to to the the parties that be because you just get some build up to it and it allows you to build up to it. And I think you can build up to it in the preseason, but you get probably a better product late in the season because the teams you're you're not getting guys starting for the first time. You've kind of gone through your season. You know you've set the tone for your season, and I think it kind of adjusts the meaning of your season putting it late in the calendar as opposed to early where it kind of sets the tone for your year in that way. But I think anywhere you put it, it's going to be great because just getting them back together, it's going to be intense. Do you have any idea, you know, you speak to these ADs and everything, is there jockeying behind the scenes to get, you know, they don't even know the format, I guess, technically, but everyone is assuming it's going to be the three permanent well, with the six rotating, is there jockeying behind the scenes for, you know, we want these three, we don't want these teams, whatever, or is this just something that uh, the SEC is going to, I, I know they got people working on it, but, uh, you know, no, not every, everybody can't get what they want in this scenario. Yeah, it's hard. It's going to be hard to please 16 different teams uh, that all have 16 different interests and, and 16 different levels of where their programs are. 
Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's probably some some schools who look at that when they've been seen the models, they probably looked at their three and they're probably thinking, well, I, we don't we don't really love that. And, and there are certainly some that are still in the camp that would prefer the eight game uh, conference schedule and, and one fixed opponent and seven rotating it as opposed to the three six. Uh, I, I would characterize that as the minority, though. It seems like the majority of the of the schools are in favor of the three six because I think the majority of the schools have multiple rivals that they want to preserve, and I think that's where we'll end up because for a couple of reasons. One, that it's a better TV product because I, I went through and looked at the twenty twenty three schedules, and all but two SEC teams have at least two Group of Five opponents in their non-conference so if you're going to go up to nine conference games you're probably subbing in an sec game for one of those group of five opponents and so you're probably having a non-conference with a power five a group of five and an fcs and then your nine sec games and i think and that's going to be a better product for espn the television partner it's going to preserve more of the rivalries because you're going to make sure that like for instance texas plays oklahoma and texas a&m and arkansas every year uh, Texas A&M will probably play Texas and LSU. And then the, I think Mississippi State is the model that they've seen would be their third one. Okay, mm-hmm. The Mississippi State one is maybe one you could debate, but you want to make sure for me from a viewer perspective, a college football fan perspective. Yeah, I'd like to see Texas and Texas A&M play every year. And Texas A&M and LSU has become a pretty, I feel like it's been to become a pretty good rapper over the last few years. So I wouldn't mind continuing to see that. And there's plenty of other schools that have those same situations. You know, Alabama has multiple rivals. Florida has multiple rivals. Tennessee. So I think it the ability to preserve those because ultimately that's what conference realignment has kind of broken up a little bit. And going to the three six in my in in my view is a way to bring some of that stuff back and, and do it on an annual basis because the more often you play those games that have meaning that fans are invested in, the better your product's going to do. Well, I'm glad you went there, Sam, because I'm asking everybody I have on the show. I just, I just, because this is such a fun topic. Uh, Texas, who would you give them as their three permanent? I mean, we assume it's got to be Oklahoma and Texas A&M. So we're really just debating the last one. If if the SEC called Sam Codd and said you're picking the third opponent for Texas, who are you picking there? It's got to be Arkansas. When you see the atmosphere for that game uh in in Fayetteville back in 21 when they went there and they I mean Arkansas fans rushed the field after they won the game and uh to me they're old Southwest Conference rivals and I grew up watching Southwest Conference football there's a lot of history there obviously they played a game of the century you know five decades ago uh that there there is still certainly from an Arkansas fan perspective I think a lot of intensity and a lot of a lot of hate for that rivalry and I think Texas fans especially the ones who have been around for a long time, still remember that rivalry and still, and I think would welcome it back. So, so if I were picking it, I think Arkansas would be the one for the third one for Texas for me. And, and how about same for A&M again, assuming Texas, assuming LSU, who's your third. I know you said Mississippi state looks like that will be the selection, but if you get to pick for A&M, who, who would you go with that third option? I think I'd probably go with Arkansas also for a similar reason, because they have become they started playing before they were conference mates. Of course, they were also in the Southwest Conference together. And then even in that interim, when they were AM was in the Big 12 and Arkansas was in the SEC, right before AM joined the SEC, they they signed that contract to start playing non-conference games. And then of course they've been playing that game at ATT Stadium the last decade or so. And it's gone really well, even though 
The record has been somewhat lopsided. A&M has won the vast majority of those in the last decade. They still have mostly been very competitive games. I know the Arkansas fans turn out for that one. And that one will move out of AT&T Stadium after the contract ends in 2024. They're going to go back to home and homes. But I think that, me personally, I would preserve that one too, just because it's been, I think it's been a really competitive rivalry. And how prepared do you think Texas is for life in the SEC after they've been uh, beefing up the line of scrimmage under Sarkeesian? Yeah, that's that's the number one thing you have to do. And I think the way they've recruited that position, uh, offensive line, defensive line, the last couple of years has been really impressive. And and I think getting that extra time, not having to go, because they announced it obviously in 21, not having to go in 22 or 23 has been invaluable because if they had to go right then, I think it would have been a real problem because I don't think they were ready physically. They weren't ready in terms of depth. They weren't ready on either line of scrimmage. Certainly you saw that five and seven years Sarkeesian's debut. They weren't very good up front, but they got a lot better last year. And you, they're bringing back all five of their offensive linemen this year. They've got a left tackle on Kelvin Banks, who's probably a future draft pick. Uh, he'll By time they get in the SEC, he'll be a junior. Uh, and, and you look at the way they've recruited that position – then they've just got to build depth. That's it. That's that's the next step. Is right now they've done a pretty good job of recruiting those frontline guys. Now it's just building that depth. And so if they stack in another good top five recruiting class this year, then you're going to the SEC with some really really physical big guys, and they've already got good skill position talent. So and and you've got a coach who's coached in that league, recruited that league, understands what the body types look like, and in that way, I think Sarkeesian was a very very smart hire for them back in 2021. So overall, I think their preparations for it have been good. And they'll I think they'll come in ready. You really can't, I think, be fully ready until you're in it because they're playing Big 12 teams every every week that aren't built like the SEC teams physically on the line of scrimmage. So that that first year will probably be a lot of learning for them and just understanding how much of a grind it is. But they'll have the bodies to do the job once they're there. It's just a matter of getting acclimated and getting used to it. All right, last thing for you, Sam. I really appreciate all your time. I always try to get my guests in a little bit of trouble. And <laughs> again, this is not me saying it. This is Sam Khan. You got to pick one. Who wins in SEC championship first, Texas or Texas A&M? What's your thoughts? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good question. To me, this year is going to be – this year will, I think, give us a better idea of where we're going with that because if you would have asked me last year at this time – I would have said A&M because yeah. of the talent they're stacking up. And they still have a tremendous amount of talent. But the way that season went last year and the questions that are raised about Jimbo Fisher and the program's future under him long term, to me, this 2023 season is about answering that question is, was that just an aberration and a, and a bump in the road or is the sign of trouble and, and that this thing isn't going to work out long term? And how that is answered determines whether or not A&M continues to be just kind of an eight-win program or can actually step into contention. And as for Texas, they've got to take that next big step this year. If they don't, to me, if they don't go to the Big 12 championship game and at least contend for the conference title, then I'm kind of wondering a little bit about, about them too. It's like, okay, is Sark the right guy or are, are they doing what they need to do? Because right now it looks like they're taking the steps, but it's a whole other thing when you actually have to go do it and win it and win at a high level, which they haven't done yet under Sarkeesian. So I think right now, if you ask me today, I'm still going to say A&M because they've been in the league. They, the talent, they've already accumulated the talent. They've already, like you look at their defensive line, the talent they brought in at that position, Connor Wegman. I love him. I think he's a terrific, I think he's going to be a star quarterback. 
a ton of skill position talent around him. The offensive line struggled last year, but they bring all those guys back. If they can stay healthy up front, I still think if that program gets it back right this year, then I think I think they're the pick. But if they if the Bobby Petrino thing blows up, then then I think you're looking at Texas. But I think if you made me pick today, just because they're already in the league and they've already been through it. I think I'll give AM about this much of an edge right now today. But it's really close because I think right now both of these programs are at an inflection point. Well, Sam, you just lost us all our audience from Orange Bloods we just recently <laughs> acquired. But I can't thank you enough. Before you go, Sam, can you please tell my audience where's the best place, easiest way to find all your work? Uh, Theathletic.com, our college football page. Uh, you can find all our work there. This is my son, uh, Adrian. <laughs> telling me by, I think he's going to go pick up our, our oldest from school. Uh, but the athletic.com, our college, fo- college football page, you can find my stuff there. And of course on Twitter at SCON junior S K H A N J R. I post all my stories there, but appreciate you having me so much. All right, Chase. So, hey, how about it? First time Sam on the show, really, really appreciate him coming on. And uh, I thought there was some great information there. Yeah, I really did too. And and I think the best part was the rivalry talk, you know. <laughs> Obviously, Texas and Texas A&M, that's going to be the thing that everybody wants to talk about. But, you know, he's right. When 21 came around and you got a little dose of Arkansas, Texas, I mean, it won't be long before that thing's rekindled and ready to rock and roll, you know. They, I've, I've come to find out that, uh, that Texas does not like Arkansas. <laughs> you know so the fact that he wants to put them both with texas a&m and texas i thought that was great but uh yeah this is just I, i'm just just imagining what some of these games are going to look like i cannot wait to go down to the texas texas a&m matchup that's going to be i, I want to go to the first one mike i don't care what we're doing we've got to make that happen we've got to get down there i just want to experience that because there's going to be so much hate yeah, I mean, Bruno's they, pumped up. You see him? You hear him back there? Yeah, he's, he's so fired excited. Up. He's fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they played over a hundred times. So, uh, I mean, it's a, it's been a travesty that they've gone this long without playing. Cannot wait for that matchup. And as Ross Bjork, the AD, says, "By God, we're holding it in College Station." So that's that's where it'll be, according to them. I I can't Absolutely. wait to see all the all oh. the feedback there. You know. There is just so much hate, Mike. So much, and and it's it's a faucet that just got turned off. You know, it it went from every year to nothing, and no wanting to play in the future. Now you hear both sides saying their stories, and you even made a comment during that interview about the the Twitter wars. They're out, man. But this, where I think we're gonna pick right back up where we were and and that's the best part of this is it's an instant rivalry and the sec fans they've not got to experience it they're going to get to experience and they're going to follow fall in love with it real quick now shane last thing i wanted to hit you with on this episode of the show there's been a lot of coordinator turnover in the sec this year i believe the number off the top of my head is like 10 new offensive coordinators in the SEC. Yeah. So uh, obviously there's been defensive coordinator changes too. So a lot of change. And I've kind of put a list together here, Shane, of the 10 new coordinators in the SEC that will affect the upcoming season the most. And you let me know if I'm off the mark, thoughts on this. Uh, how's that sound to you? Yeah, so you're going. Are you going like from least to to most? Is that how this list is going to play out? 
I'm going to start with from most to least. Oh, yeah. That's I, right. I, why, why even BS the people and tease them? Let's just cut right to it. You know, what? Don't, don't you hate those those slides and it's like <laughs> the 10 something celebrities and then you're like having to watch a commercial during nine and eight. Yeah. No, let's get right to it, Mike. <laughs> All right. I think number one on the board, Shane, I think this is almost a no brainer. Bobby Petrino, offensive yeah. coordinator, Texas A&M. The offense has been a train wreck. In College Station, this guy has been brought in to, to get it up to pace, coach up the quarterbacks. They got all the talent, all the resources in the world. A&M should be competing for SEC and even national titles with the talent they have. If Bobby Petrino is a great coordinator for the Aggies, there's no mm-hmm. reason they can't make a huge turnaround this fall. What What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it is an absolute huge impact. And, and – because I think that's kind of like our last resort too with Jimbo's security in, in Texas A&M. If, if this doesn't work, man, they're not going to keep playing the game. So uh, the, the argument was the offense. The, the argument was the, the, the lack of explosive plays, and that's something that Bobby specializes in. And, and I think that it's a huge hire. But there is a lot of pressure on that organization as a whole, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is going to be on, on Petrino's shoulders. Yeah. Now, how about this one, Shane? This is a guy, I don't. I bet, you know, casual fans that don't follow too closely, they may not even know this guy is employed in the SEC as an offensive coordinator, but I think he is paramount to the success or failure of this program this year. And I'm talking about Dow Loggins, the new South Carolina offensive coordinator. He's been a coordinator in the NFL he was the tight ends coach at Arkansas last year. And South Carolina, there's always a lot of hype, you know, last two off seasons. This yeah. offseason, more than most. They got Spencer Rattler back. They got Juice Wells back. They've got some nice pieces around them. But they have a tough, tough schedule right out the gate with North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee. I mean, if they falter early in a new system – I don't, I don't, I just don't see how they can live up to the hype. Now, if they come out on fire, hell, maybe this is the biggest dark horse in the SEC. So Dow Loggins, because of all those factors, rates number two on my list. What's, what's your thoughts on that? I, I get that, and I think there's a lot. Of, I think there's almost more pressure on Beamer with this hire because there was a lot of people scratching their heads after it happened. Mm-hmm. As as hard as we were on Satterfield for most of the season. And then once we did get production, there was always the conspiracies as who's actually calling the plays. Yeah. So I, I think it is a very crucial hire and a very important spot here. Um, I think we may be a little high on this list, uh, in my opinion, but I do think that obviously Spencer's production will be solely based on this and and how much freedom does he have in that offense. I, I think that's the important part here is is knowing his strengths and building around that and I think that's what we're going to have but if they come out trying to fit that square peg in a round hole again then then we're going to be it, w- it won't take three weeks because the like you said the schedule ramps up real quick that's the thing South Carolina's got against them big time mm-hmm. is you know three four weeks into this if they're not having the productive season that they ended on last year, then everybody is going to blame the OC again. So a lot of pressure on that position. 
Now, how about this one, Shay? This is another one I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to, but I think he could be a huge home run hire for this program, and that is new Missouri offensive coordinator Kirby Moore. He was yeah. at Fresno State. They had an excellent offense. Uh, Missouri's defense has been outstanding. They, uh, Drinkowitz gave away play calling duties late in the season, and they got significantly better. He has on the record saying, I, I had to do this to for this program to reach its heights. And yeah. if they get that offense going, Shane, Missouri returns the second most production of all teams in the SEC. They got to get the quarterback right. They got to get this offensive coordinator right. And if they do, I think Missouri is poised to make a big jump. But if it's a train wreck disaster, I mean, it wouldn't stun me either if Drink gets fired. And I'm, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but right. I mean, it's it's no. kind of like that big of a deal to me. Yeah, I don't I don't know why we tiptoe around it. He is on a hot seat, and and with the schedule ramping up here in the next twenty four, I mean, we talked about this is the last opportunity for Mizzou to really make some noise over there in the in the East. So I, I'm I'm with you here. The pieces are there. We've, I mean, I look at that bag of chips over there, and I'm like, that kid is on your team. <laughs> Feed him the rock. There's no reason that Mizzou's offense does not take a huge step forward, and I think this was a crucial hire. I think it was a necessary hire, too. That way, uh, Drink can focus on the team as a whole, as more of a general manager, which he's really good at. Um, that defense, you talked about all the production on offense. They got a lot of production on defense coming back as well. Mizzou is going to be a sleep. Sleep. A lot of people are going to sleep on them, and it's not going to be you and me because we're going to talk about them all offseason. This is a this is a team that really can be exciting next year. And just a little bit of news that uh, you know we don't know the 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 full details or anything, so let's not hit the panic button. But Sam Horn, redshirt freshman, mm -hmm. you know he's going into spring camp with uh, Brady Cook. He's out for the for the off season or the, at least for the spring. He just had shoulder surgery. Brady Cook was, or excuse me, Sam Horn was poised to potentially, you know, get this job. He's also mm -hmm. playing baseball for the Tigers. He got hurt the other day. Well, I, again, I don't know how bad it is. Let's hope and pray it's it's not bad at all. He may not miss any spring, but it, it kind of sounds bad. They had to take him out of the game. And there was a drink, you know, posted about uh, a couple days ago. Sam Horn throwing strikes out there, and a fan says. Definition of insanity. Would have loved to see this guy on the football field just <laughs> trolling, basically saying, you know, we wasted our quarterback on damn baseball. And then Drink hits him back. What's the definition of insanity? Taking advice from people on Twitter is what Drink says. I'll, I'll throw that up on the screen. But, oh, man, I mean <laughs> – I mean, but there, there was times you and I were both saying, "Why not?" You know, what do we got to lose? And then, and then here he is getting injured, playing a sport we don't care about. You know, just kidding. I know there's a lot of baseball lovers out there. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. And to lose my potential starting quarterback, not saying he's going to have the job, but there's a lot of people thinking that this is going to be the year he steps up. And to yeah. see him a little banged up, that's not good news in my opinion, Mike. Right, right. How about this next coordinator? I think there's a lot of pressure on this guy. The new Florida defensive coordinator just hired this guy, Austin Armstrong. He's only 29 years old, hired him away from Alabama. He was the, the linebackers coach for nine days. Before that, he was Southern Miss defensive coordinator. And why this is so big, 
Maybe it's not fair because it, we just hired this guy. I mean, he might be fantastic, but man, that my biggest question about the Gators was the defense, and now we're changing coordinators. If if this is a complete disaster of a hire, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying we should get rid of Billy Napier after two years. I think that's kind of crazy, but. Hell, if we only win four games, I mean, he is going to be on the hottest of hot seats in Gainesville. So I, it may be a stretch to say this, Shane, but I think, you know, his job may depend on on how well this defensive coordinator with, with very limited experience, two years of being a coordinator at Southern Miss, two years, uh, his job may be on the line if, if this guy is not a, a good defense coordinator. Yeah, that's eight. That's between the eight ball and a hard spot. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. You, you had to make a hire, so I'm not going to fault. I'm not going to put all the pressure on this coordinator spot. It, the pressure is clearly on Billy. You know, you look at all the coaches that's come through there in Gainesville. Not one of them had a record. I mean, even the bad ones, man. Muschamp, Ron Zook, all those guys. None of them had a record like they did last year. So I mean. There were some tight games. Me and you discussed this the other day, 10-point uh, games. I think there was four of them. So the, the, the season could have went totally different for the Florida Gators. Mm-hmm. But it is, a, it is a pressure cooker down there, and you cannot afford to make a bad hire. So if this guy takes a step back, if he takes the program a step back, they're not going to blame the coordinator, Mike. They're going to blame the, the head coach here. So yeah. – uh, Tough, tough spot here. Now, how about next on my list, Shane? Tommy Reese, the new Alabama offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And I put him a little bit lower just because Alabama is so loaded with talent that, uh, you know, you can't just insert anybody. But I think Alabama, I'm not sitting here saying they're going to take a drastic step back because they, you know, they went from Tommy, Bill O'Brien to Tommy Reese. I think Tommy Reese is, he's not terrible by any means, but. Really, he, the only way we'll be able to judge him is, you know, what do they do against Tennessee, LSU, maybe an SEC championship, maybe a college yeah. football playoff. Because Alabama's going to Alabama. They're going to be good. Yeah. Are they going to be good enough to win the national championship? That's probably going to come up to, to how good this offense plays under Tommy Reese. So I put him kind of high on the list, but not at the top, just because Alabama's got so much talent to work with. Well, I mean – Great talent, great expectations, and I would have him number two uh, potentially on this list. And just because of, you know, Saban doesn't make a lot of bad hires. He's not made a lot of bad hires. But to go back-to-back on one, mm-hmm. that that offensive room is going to be under a lot of pressure. They they know – and what does it look like? What does this – what does this team look like now that they've got to go through a new quarterback? What does this team look like? Yes, they got talent. But if they continue to struggle on that side of the football, then we start looking at at Saban's dynasty coming to an end, you know? And I don't think that's the case. I think last year was a one-off. That's what we're all going to say. But if Alabama drops two games or three games to a single possession and we turn around and say, well, damn, it's the offense again – you know that's a that's that's a lot of pressure in, in coaching. So I don't think Bill Bill O'Brien was the was the right pick. I don't know if Reese is going to be the right pick, 
But like you said, with that talent, if they don't get the production that we expect from Alabama football, here we're talking about LSU going against them. They're an eight-point favorite. Yeah. It hinges on the on the capabilities of this uh, coordinator. So I think this is a very crucial hire and a tough. Uh, this is this is another one that's just going to be fun to see how it plays out because you and I sitting here, we have no idea. They've got a lot of lot of roster, but they we don't know what that's going to look like or what that's going to transition to on the field. Right. Now, next on my list, Shana, Kevin Barbay, the new offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. Uh, the defense is mostly intact with players and coaches. So, the, obviously, all the questions at Mississippi State is going to be on that offensive side of the ball. They got yeah. one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in not just the SEC, but the country coming back. They've got so, uh, some good running backs, good receivers. If he can fit in there seamlessly, add some explosiveness to this offense – and I think back to he was at Appalachian State last year when they beat Texas A&M. I mean, from what I remember, Appalachian State, they out-physicaled yeah. Texas A&M, which was incredible. Uh, obviously, you know, you can't just translate that to Mississippi State, but I think that's what they want to be, a little bit more physical, a little bit more explosive. And if he can bring that to Mississippi State, man, they're, they're going to be discounted by everybody, I would think. But they've got great talent down there. And if Zach Arnett – is up for this challenge of being a head coach for the first time. Mississippi State's a team to watch this season in the SEC. Yeah, I'm with you. And and this one is a – this is more of a hands-off coaching hire too because, you know, Arnett obviously is going to be a big part of that defense. But he is going to have very – well, I, I wouldn't say limited, but he, there's going to be a lot of offense he does not deal with. So this, this – the pressure of the offensive production will will definitely fall on his shoulders, um, you know. So I think this was an interesting hire, and it's a tough spot because, you know, you're going from the pirate, and we're going to see a totally different style of offense here. The, the I mean, we saw they go out to Vanderbilt, they pick up a quarterback that does not fit the mold of what what Leach was doing last year. So we yeah. there's going to be some some unique pieces on this team and and they're gonna have to get production i think the defense will be fine um they were up and down last year but i think they correct that but this offense man it's it's solely going to be with the coordinator not arnett right now these last four shane these are all established guys that's kind of why i put them at the bottom it's not to say they won't have an impact it's more like I guess I'm more confident in these guys, if that makes sense, because I've seen them so many times. So they will have an impact, but it's not as boom or bust, at least in my opinion. And I'm going Pete Golding, new defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. I know Alabama yep. was happy to see him go, but Ole Miss was happy to see him come to Oxford because yeah. defense has been an issue. He's done a great job handling Lane Kiffin's offense, so you, you got to believe there's that mutual respect. Um, I'm fascinated to see how this works out because I think Ole Miss got a lot better with Pete Golding. And I think Ole Miss, hell, even, you know, last year we, we won eight games and it was a disappointment because how it ended. Yeah. The year before, yeah. 10 wins. I mean, this is a this is a program that is expecting greatness now. And I think they got, a, they got closer to it by hiring Pete Golding. Yeah, and it feels like a good relationship. I, I, something about it just feels like a, a match made. We, we've we got somebody that, that was at Alabama, now with Lane Kiffin, 
or it's going to be one of those relationships that's over in a year, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot of pressure on that defense because, you know, that's one of the things we pointed out that that, old, that held Ole Miss back last year was just that defensive production. So I think it was a great hire, and uh, I think it does play out in Ole Miss's favor. But not as much pressure. But as far as staying in Ole Miss, yeah, you gotta you got to put up or shut up now. Yeah. Uh, how about this next guy on my list, Shane? Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator now at Arkansas. He was the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator uh, under Brett Bielema when Sam Pittman was the offensive line coach back in the day. They were fantastic. He's inheriting K.J. Jefferson, Rocket Sanders, some yeah. nice pieces on the offensive line. Uh, this is not to say Dan Enos is not going to do a great job. I, it's the fact I got confidence in him and I got confidence in these players uh, I think they're going to be just fine, and the and the offense is certainly the stronger part of that unit. They may have to win some shootouts this year. I like this fit. I like this hire. I think Danny Enos is going to do a good job. You you've you've pulled me along here, Mike. I wasn't as excited about the hire when it happened, but you've convinced me. But if it fails, I will remind you that this was all your fault. <laughs> Now almost what about Bobo? What about Bobo? Is he on here? You got he's he's coming up, but uh, almost the same deal here. Well, really, these last three, but uh, I mean, virtually the same thing can be said for Liam Cohen, who's next on my list, offensive coordinator at Kentucky. He was the offensive coordinator two years ago. Uh, Was he was tremendous in getting Will Levis going, getting that offense going. They've got the receivers now. They got Ray Davis added. They got Devin Leary added. I mean, I think they got the right pieces. And, again, he's only low on this list because I got so much confidence in him that I think we have major upgrade here. And yeah. I think Kentucky is going to go from being weak on offense to, once again, being consistent, being strong on that side of the ball. Kentucky is a team we haven't talked a ton about this offseason. we got to keep our eye on them because this, this could be – we repeat ourselves, it seems, so much, but this really could be uh, one of the best Kentucky teams ever this year. Yeah, I know. I mean, you're talking about coordinator hires. The best coordinator hire last year, in my opinion, was getting him back on campus. So I think Cohen was – it was a huge part of that offense – uh, a couple years ago, and he's going to be a huge part of this offense moving forward. So I don't have any worries because you look at production last season as opposed to this one, it's not going to take much to improve. And I think I think it's going to be night and day. And, and like you said, Kentucky's going to be fun to watch again. Yeah. And so the last, again, you hit on it already, Mike Bobo, Georgia. He's been down there at Georgia. Hell, he was on staff last year as an analyst, but he's been the offensive coordinator. He's been the coordinator all across the SEC. The only reason I put him low on this list, Shane, is same things I've been saying about these other guys. I got confidence in him. I got confidence in the talent. And we know Georgia's going to be damn good. So, really the only way to judge Bobo is, you know, if they come up short maybe in a national championship or an SEC (laughs) championship and they don't score enough points to win the game, then everybody's going to say, well, my God, Bobo's an idiot. But – I think they're going to be just fine. I think they're going to be a high, efficient offense that uh, has their way with just look at their schedule. Damn near everybody yeah. they play. 
Yeah, you're you're the as much as you talk about Mike Bobo, I cannot believe he's not been on this show yet, Mike. I haven't heard you on Fine Bomb. Just just rave reviews. So I don't know what Mike has paid you here, but I do think there's a little pressure, Mike. Uh, you know, you, you go back to back national champs. There's that's it, the the expectations are so damn high. Like yeah. short of a championship, you failed. And, and they're going to blame somebody. They're not going to blame Kirby Smart, the one that's got the two rings on his hands. They're going to blame what has changed from last year to this year, and that's Mike Bobo. So if mm-hmm. this offense sputters or, or causes them a game, that's the first one they're going to drag out in the carpet and say, hey, man, we need a coordinator down here in Athens. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of pressure. I don't. I think it was a good hire. Um, I, I think he, he, he's gotten kind of a bad rap with his last you know few jobs here. But mm-hmm. Georgia's absolutely loaded with talent. And if you can't get that thing rocking, then then you should just get out. I mean, this, you're playing with an all-Madden team here, Mike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. Do you got anything before we hop off the line? No, no. Ben, uh, it's... Always fun catching up with you, Mike, and uh, look forward to getting back on here tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining me. I can't thank each and every one of you enough for joining us. We really do appreciate it. And if you made it this far, if you're enjoying all the content, don't forget to give us a five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, Rate us on Spotify. You do any of those, we'll give you a free beer koozie just send on your review on over to that sec podcast at gmail.com that's gonna do it brother we'll catch you on the next one all right see you guys go balls hey buddy this beer's for you mike and cousin shane that sec podcast loves the pirate and the pirate loves That SEC podcast, Hail State.